0: Hello, hello. In, in case there's still any kids in the room, you're dismissed to go to your classes now. This has been good, hey? I feel like we could do this every Sunday, Pastor Sophia. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of work put into it. You can just, just do it every week. It's good. Uh, it's been so fun having the kids part of things and kids give back Sunday. This week, there's gonna be a bunch of cute kids coming to your door, knocking, looking for ha- Halloween candy. And uh, it would be a great chance to bless your neighbors. And, uh, and the, in this season of... Spooky scariness. I, I have a friend who would like he would pretend to be like a stuffed like scarecrow or something in the, the front of his yard. And, it, and when people walk by, he'd just like jump at them, and like, grab them. Ah! And people would just freak out. I freaked out. But you have to be careful when you do that sort of thing, because you don't really know how people are gonna respond. When you're like think that your life is in danger, you might actually like do some harm <laughs> to that person. I saw a video of this, this girl she had. Set up a camera in the bathroom, and she hid behind the, the uh, uh, bath curtain. And her boyfriend came into the bathroom, and she like made like a little noise behind it. And he like he just like punched through the thing. <laughs> and she just falls over, just crying. He's like, "What are you doing back there?" <laughs> just, so you know, be careful if you're gonna scare some people this this Halloween. Um, are you, I'm, I'm, we all have either like a fight or flight instinct when we get, uh, what's the word, scared, or when we feel like we're being threatened. I'm, I'm a, definitely a, a flight person, um, not much of a fighter. I don't know if I'd be any really good in a crisis if somebody broke into my house. Sorry, hun. But uh, today we're talking about that fight instinct in us. Uh, we're talking about anger. Uh, when we're threatened, anger is a reaction that we have to master as a part of God's peaceful kingdom. We're in a series called The Way of the Kingdom. The Way of the Kingdom. And we're, we're reminding ourselves that Christianity following Jesus is a way. It's, it's a way of being in the world. It's not just a destination. The kingdom of God isn't just going to heaven one day when we die. The kingdom of God is here and now. And it is a reality that's present that we can participate in with our life, with our our, the way we live our lives, with our interactions with one another, with our neighbors, with what we do with our time and our money and all that we are, we are invited into this, the kingdom of God now and in the future. And so just to recap on, on last week, Pastor Dave was talking about how if we want to enter into the kingdom of God, Jesus said, you need a righteousness that's greater than the teachers of the law, that's greater than the Pharisees. Um, it's, better, it's more than just fulfilling a set of rules. It's more than just doing the good things and not doing the bad things. But Jesus fulfilled the law. He, he, he took it to its conclusion. He took it to the heart of what the, the, the Jewish law codes, the 600 and however many laws they had. He fulfilled them not just by following the letter of the law. He fulfilled them by following them to their conclusion, the heart of what they were getting at. And so the challenge from last Sunday was we need a a better righteousness. It's not just about rule keeping, but it's about having a new heart. It's about not adherence to a code, but living out of a new heart. Following the heart of the law, not the letter. I have four wonderful daughters, and one of them, our morning routine is, I help her get ready for school and drop her off. And just at the age she's at, she's very distractible. And so, you know, it's like, unless I find, unless I'm like walking with her to eat the breakfast, watching her eat the breakfast, walking with her to get the clothes on, watch her get the clothes on. Somewhere along the way, she's going to be either like engaged in a full-on crafting project or like fully engaged in playing in her dollhouse. And I'm like getting ready to go. And I'm like, I haven't heard from her in a few minutes. Like go upstairs and she's just playing dolls. I'm like, every morning... We get ready for school. We put on our clothes. We go have breakfast. We brush our teeth, and then we leave. It seems it's challenging. to get. So, so the other morning, I said, she's heading up to do her, uh, get her clothes on. I said, don't sit down at your desk and start crafting. We are getting ready for school now. And so I'm doing my thing. I'm like, hmm. This is one of those moments, I think. So I go up there, and she hops up and starts getting her clothes on. I'm like, honey, I just told you we're getting ready for school. You're not to be, you're not to be uh, sitting down crafting. She's like, I wasn't crafting. I was playing with my toys. Okay, <laughs> she found the loophole. And, uh, you know, when we're, when we're concerned with following the letter of the law, we miss the point, right? We miss it. And Jesus is showing us the heart of it, the purpose in what it means to be part of God's kingdom. And, uh, so today, we're, looking, we're starting to go with Jesus, then trans, um, transitions from that passage in Matthew chapter 5 into six uh, examples of what that looks like, to have a better righteousness than just following rules, a better righteousness that's actually about a new heart, a new way of being uh, in the world. And so we're going we're gonna to do that today. And so we're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, and we can bring that up, verse 21 to 26. So Jesus has just said, you need to have, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you need to have a better righteousness than the Pharisees. And he says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. We'll come back to that term because none of us You don't speak Aramaic, And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or... Your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay, let's just stop and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you. We pray that you would help us to know how to better live in your kingdom today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, the sermon title is how not to be an angry Christian. Have you ever met an angry Christian? Not at our church. But have you ever met an angry Christian at a different church? They don't go here. You know, they don't go here. But, you know, when when someone's angry, it's hard to hear what they want to say to you, right? Um, When parents, when we're angry at our kids, it's sort of like the anger muddles everything, right? And it's hard to hear the message from someone who's angry. And so, we're trying to talk about how not to be an angry Christian and follow the heart of the law that Jesus is teaching us. And so we're, we're going, Jesus starts off by going right to like the most serious law, like do not murder. Like, like even today, that's like, you know, if you ask me what's the, the worst law that you could break is like murdering someone. And so that's where Jesus goes right to the heart of it. And so we're going to look at a few ways that we can not be angry people. And it's interesting, so our first point is that Jesus is our authority. He's the authority on how to enter the kingdom of heaven, how to live in the kingdom of heaven. He says, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And so if you go way back into the story of Israel, back to the people of, the Hebrew people got redeemed from Egypt, they got delivered, and God gave them this this law, the, the Ten Commandments, you shall not steal, you shall not murder, and this, this code of how to live. And so Jesus is referencing, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, in Exodus chapter 20. We'll be subject to judgment. So he's, then again, he's referencing Old Testament law. In uh, Genesis chapter 9, Exodus 21, Numbers 35, talks about what happens when you murder, is you receive the death penalty in the Old Testament law. So you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and a he who murders will be subject to judgment. It's a serious crime. It was uh, punishable by death. He says, but I tell you. Now, this would be <clears throat> intensely uh, disconcerting, disrupting. This would be intensely, like, audacious to say, by the way, you know Moses and the law that God gave our ancestors hundreds of years ago? You know, you know everything that we've built our entire tradition on? Remember that God said? Yeah, God said that. But I tell you, be like, like, uh, excuse me? Sorry? This would be audacious. This would be shocking. This would be like, who do you think you are, sir? And he's right here immediately assuming the authority of God, the authority of Israel's God, the one who created the whole world, the one who called Abraham and promised that he would make him into a people, the one who met with Moses and gave him this lock and, and, and walked with the people through the wilderness, he's saying, I have that authority too, which, which is a person standing right in front of you. So this is a big deal. He's, he's assuming this, this authority, and he's about to call out their misunderstanding of the law. Have you ever, have you ever got mixed up, you know? Pastor Dave talked about how he drove down a one-way street the wrong way and, uh, you know, got mixed up on the signage. Got mixed up on the signage. We get mixed up on things, and Jesus was like, let me, let me tell you how to really think about these things. You know, and it's like, imagine God meeting with Moses on a, on a mountain, giving him law. Jesus is here now meeting with people on a mountaintop, the Sermon on the Mount, and redefining it. It's sort of like, an echo of it. Here is God on the mountain with Moses giving them law. Jesus, God, is on another mountain now going, okay, let's have another talk about this law. Let's have another talk about what it means to live as my people. Let's have another talk about understanding. And, and so we need to understand going into this that Jesus is our authority on how to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is our authority in tandem with the Old Testament scriptures, but Jesus is the one who goes, let me point this out to you and how, to, how, to, how it works. Let me point this out to you. And so when we approach scripture, we need to remember that it's not just a flat thing. That Jesus is, is the pinnacle of the revelation of God. In the book of Hebrews, it says he is the exact representation of the, the image of God. Jesus told people, he says, no one has seen the Father unless they've seen me. And so Jesus is who we understand God through. And so Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I tell you, listen, let's see how to really do this. Let's see what it really means. Let's see what it looks like to enter the kingdom of God. And I want to ask you today, are you open to the idea that maybe you've misunderstood some parts of God's character? Maybe we've gotten some things wrong. And I hope that we can all go, well, yeah, we're talking about God here. There's a humility. There's a, there's a, uh, a humility that says, Holy Spirit, I need you to lead me into all truth. I don't have it all figured out. And we need to all come into that position of going, yeah, God, I need you to teach me um, where I've gotten it wrong. And so Jesus is the authority. And so when we start off in this text, we're seeing that Jesus, Jesus says, I am I'm God, so listen to me. And so secondly, we need to go beyond actions and toward attitudes. Anyone who's angry, not just anyone who murders, anyone who is angry his, with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Wow, that's pretty intense, isn't it? Like, I got angry like, you know, this morning, you know, I didn't really, but we get angry, don't we? Like, did anybody get angry this week? No? Okay. I guess we can go. I've, if we don't need to have this conversation. Um, but yeah, we, we all get angry. And, and our hearts are the roots of our behavior. Again, illustration with my kids. Sorry, sorry, girls. I won't name any names. But you know, like when you're like, apologize to your sister. And they go, I'm sorry. Right? It's like, you said the words, but yeah, I mean, come on. You know, or, or like when when uh, you come across an angry Christian, they're like, God loves you. It's like, okay, you, know, you said the thing, but I don't really, not feeling it, not feeling it. And in order to have a righteousness greater than the leaders of Jesus' day, it's not just about abstaining from a thing or doing a thing. We, we call that legalism, right? We call that just earning our own salvation. It's about the heart. And And it's important to know that there can be two people who have not committed murder here, but one of them isn't fulfilling this law. One of them is not meeting the requirements of the kingdom of God, because one has a heart that's full of anger. Jesus is most concerned about this. Jesus is most concerned about this, and he called out hypocritical attitudes. He says, those those leaders, they clean the outside of the cup, but they're not worried about the inside. You know, you wouldn't wash your dishes by just cleaning the outside. You gotta clean the inside where the where the dirt is. He's like, they're like nicely painted tombs. They look good on the outside, but inside they're just all full of death. This is what Jesus was trying to get at in the religious uh, framework of his time. He says, you tithe all your, your spices, your mint and your dill, but you're lacking the weightier matters of the law. You're, you're lacking justice. You're lacking faithfulness. You're lacking mercy. And so it's little just to not... Murder someone. That's, okay, well, pat on the back. You didn't kill anyone this week, right? But it's a weighty thing to evaluate our heart and ask ourselves, am I holding a grudge? It's a weightier thing to look at our hearts and say, have I written someone off as a bad person? Do I hold someone in contempt? Do I think of someone with real negative perspectives on a regular basis. That's where Jesus wants to get. That's where Jesus wants to get. So we have to pay attention. So thirdly, the third step in not being an angry Christian is to name your anger. Dallas Willard said that anger is a spontaneous response. This is an alarm of resistance to the obstruction of my will, right? When things don't go your way, Right? When when something irks you, when something thwarts your ideas, right? We we all get angry, right? So you're driving in traffic and someone is going ten kilometers an hour and you're late. And you're like, what is with this person, right? It just happens. It's like it's not like a, it's not like you've just like decided to get angry, like it happens, right? Or you're reading social media, you're on, on Twitter, which is a very angry place to be. Um, but if you're, you're reading, something triggers you, right? Somebody says something, or you see something, and you just, you just get mad, right? Um, what, are those, what are those things in your life? What makes you angry? Right? don't say it out loud, right? But like, if someone treats you disrespectfully, right? Someone talks down to you, or, or mistreats treats or says something about someone you love, and, and, and that's, that's a natural response. You know, our feelings are just our feelings. They're neither here nor there. We get mad, we get sad, we get frustrated, we get disappointed. But can you name when and where you get angry? Are you aware when your heart is, like, triggered toward anger? If we don't recognize and pay attention to our anger, it will escalate and turn into something else. So, after we've named our anger, we've got we to curb our anger. So Jesus starts talking about an escalating effect of being angry with a brother or sister. And then he says again that they'll be subject to judgment. So Jesus is taking this seriously. Like he's equating it to murder, right? And that they will be subject to judgment. And so he says, anyone who says raka is answerable to the court. So we're number four, curbing our anger. Anyone who says raka is answerable to the court. So this term, raka, is like a term of contempt, like a, 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 a disdainful kind of word to, to say to someone. It's like contempt is like the opposite of respect, right? You ever had like, somebody like, kind of like, study you and look for ways that you're wrong? Doesn't that feel horrible? And you feel like someone's evaluating you all the time just to prove their negative bias about you? I've, I've been there, and that's not fun. But when we have contempt of someone, we, we ruminate on someone else's faults. We look for a confirmation of our, our righteousness compared to them. We categorize them negatively. We hold them in contempt. And uh, again, Dallas Willard said that this term may have originated in the sound your throat makes when you're gathering spit to spit. <sighs> Isn't that kind of fitting? When someone you suddenly hear someone's name and you just, you know, I hold you in contempt. You know, have you seen, okay, so this sermon is sort of heavy in some spots. So here's a moment of levity for you. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, okay. There's a very, very funny moment where King Arthur and his knights are on a journey to find the Holy Grail, and they're running along. They don't actually have horses, but they're just going like this and there's people beside them clapping uh, coconut halves together, and they get to this castle, and they call up to the castle, and I say, hello there, I'm King Arthur, these are my royal knights, we are looking for the Holy Grail. And this man pops over, hello, who's there? And forgive me, it's a French accent, okay? So, you know, the old English French, you know. This is King Arthur and my knights of the round Table. We are seeking the Holy Grail. We need to speak with the master of the house. And this Frenchman begins to taunt him. You know, this, you know this movie? It's very funny. He says, go and blow your bottom, you sons of a silly person. Sorry, I'm, I'm ringing a bit. I'm, I blow my nose at you. <laughs> and he goes on to say, I don't want to talk to you no more. I, can I say this word in church? I fought in your general direction. <laughs> your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. <laughs> And they say, is there someone else we can talk to? (laughs) so funny. I I thought it was about the the spittle thing. Like, I spit in your general direction. Ah, Yeah, okay. So there you go. Monty Python, you know, sometimes quite irreligious, but there you go. So contempt can be this, This really like, this, I just, I can't handle you. You're not worth my time. I'm not, I'm just like, I just spit, you know? I, I don't know. Have you ever had that? feeling about another person i think we've probably all been there at some point it can also be manifested in like indifference like i just you know you're not worth my time this this kind of lead to exclusion of people this can lead to a cruel othering of one another just write someone off and i'm i'm really i'm really kind of grieved at the the rise of contempt in the public sphere right now, especially with politics, um, it just seems okay to publicly show contempt for our leaders. There's a sticker going around on a lot of trucks about Justin Trudeau, you've seen it. I'm just really grieved that my children see a, an F Trudeau sticker all over. Like really? That's, that's where our public is at right now that we can like, my kids have to read this swear word about our prime minister, and it's just sort of like, yeah, doesn't he's the worst? Like, that's not great, folks. Like, that's that's a that's not a good thing in our culture right now, and and it goes both ways, right and left. And to show contempt to someone, not just one of our leaders, but anyone who's made in the image of God, is to show contempt to their Creator. Show contempt to anyone, to show contempt to their creator. James chapter 3 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. This should not be so. So Jesus is really serious about what's happening in our heart with regard to our attitudes toward one another. And it's an escalating judgment he says, anyone who's angry is, is subject to judgment. Whoever says Raka will be answerable to the council. And everyone who says you fool is in danger of the fires of hell. The word hell he uses is Gehenna, and it's a, it's a valley in, around, outside of the city of Jerusalem where the refuse and the garbage dump and the dead bodies would get burnt. And it's, it's referred to in terms of sort of like eternal punishment, this, it's Jesus takes us really seriously. The the word fool that he uses here, we we, we kind of go, well, that's not really that, that's not really that harsh of a statement, you know. But our our word for fool doesn't really access the real meaning of it. in In their culture, it it would be like a combination of someone who's utterly stupid, perverse, openly rebellious, and, and wicked, you know. Kind of the worst of the worst of the worst, in the biblical sense, a fool means someone just who's just so just horrible, and and Jesus says this this attitude is in, totally impossible with people with such attitudes toward others to live in the movements of God's kingdom, for they're totally out of harmony with it. To have this kind of attitude in our heart, where we hold others in contempt. When we meditate on someone else's faults, when we, when we talk badly about people, when we, when we mock, when we, oh, when we call people horrible things and think of them with degrading notions, Jesus says, That's totally out of step with the way of my kingdom. It's murderous. It's murderous. So if you do not curb our anger, if we don't cut it off at the roots, it develops into something sinister. Harmful and murderous. Anger escalates if unchecked. There's a, a very powerful story in Genesis chapter 4 about how this works Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were brothers, and they both offered a sacrifice to God. Something about Cain's offering was unpleasing to God. We're not told what but we're just told that God was pleased with Cain's offering was not pleased with Cain's offering but he was pleased with Abel's offering and this made Cain very angry and God says to Cain why are you so angry if you don't do what's right if you do what's right won't your sacrifice be be accepted and something in Cain couldn't accept this something in Cain couldn't be corrected. He had a, a, a self-righteousness within him that drove him, and you know, probably know the story, to actually murder his brother. It's a really powerful story that when we feel like we've been slighted and someone else has been elevated, when we feel righteous and overlooked and someone else has been elevated, when something irks us, our hearts begin on a trajectory that leads to actual harm. And Jesus takes this really seriously. Dallas Willard said that anger indulged instead of simply waved off always has in it an element of self-righteousness and vanity. Find a person who has embraced anger and you find a person with a wounded ego. Find a person who has embraced anger Find a person with a wounded ego. That's a hard saying. When I feel self-righteous anger, not righteous anger, it's because there's been a violation of my kingdom, not Jesus' kingdom. I've been offended. They are wrong. Look at them, what they believe. How do they consider themselves to be Christians? I would never do that. This is the righteousness of the Pharisees that Jesus calls us beyond. That doesn't harbor bitterness, that doesn't harbor self righteous anger, that doesn't harbor evil thoughts. James chapter 1 says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not bring about their righteousness. That God desires. So we have to curb our anger. What is triggering my anger? What do I feel offended about? What do I feel harmed by? What do I feel? And we've we've all actually probably been harmed by someone else's anger, whether it was uh, an angry pastor or parent or someone who mistreated you. And in this room, representing the the odds are that someone, some of us have been horribly mistreated and so that's real and Jesus wants to heal that in our hearts but we have to be aware of our own heart what's happening with it? we can't control what someone has done to us all, all that we can control is what we'll do with that so what will we do with our anger the fifth thing that we need to do is we need to pursue reconciliation wherever it's possible. Sometimes it's not, but we need to pursue it if at all within our, our power. Verses 23 to 26, Jesus gives two, two positive examples. He says, go to those you, you may have offended. Leave your offering. Leave your offering. Like, don't come before me before you go to your brother and, and try to make amends. Pursue reconciliation. And we can see, again, echoes of this this language of reconciliation with, a, with an offering to God. Don't come before me with an offering until you make amends. And, and, and so, again, we were reminded of Pastor Dave's um, sermon last week where he says, righteousness is about relationships. The righteousness that God requires is about relationships. Just make amends quickly, if you can. On your way to the court. Make a deal. <laughs> and he's saying this is, both, this is both just like relational teaching, but it's also wisdom. Because if they take you to court, they take you for everything you've got. You just get yourself out of it. There's some, just some prudent wisdom there. The consequences will be painful if you do not. You know, have you, built, have you burnt bridges with people? We might come back to hunt you a little bit later down the road. So we need to pursue reconciliation wherever we can. And the final thing I want to say is that we need to possibly, we need to reconsider God's character when we look at this. Because maybe there's an elephant in the room here where we're talking about anger. Some of you might have been thinking, yeah, but, okay, isn't God pretty angry in the Bible a lot? Anybody had that thought while I've been talking? Yeah, he just says we shouldn't be angry, but God seems like he's pretty angry in the Bible. Yeah, you can find that if, if you want. Yeah. There's a lot of God's anger in the Bible. But I think God's anger isn't directed at being personally offended or slighted. I think God's got a pretty healthy ego. Much more than me. I think God really is like, ah, what they said about me? Ah, tch-tch. there's texting. You know, the Father starts texting the Holy Spirit or angels or whatever. You know, That's not what he's doing. He's like he's fine. What God gets angry at is injustice. You know, people are mistreated when there's exploitation. When when our sin distorts God's good creation, distorts our lives and our our interactions with Him. When I think that's what God's anger and His judgment and His wrath are poured out upon. Poured out upon our sin. And if we want to find a really angry god, if if we really want that, I think that says something about us more than it says something about god. Because an angry god makes angry disciples. The Pharisees thought they were serving god by murdering Jesus. They thought they were doing god's will by murdering a man they knew was actually innocent. They set him up. They made it look like he had done things he hadn't done and said things as well as the things he did say. John chapter 14, Jesus said, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And the irony here is that in the defense of their views of God's righteousness, they committed a grievous, unrighteous thing. So, If you want God to be angry, you can justify it. You can justify your own anger if if you're looking for it. But Jesus' is teaching on anger, Jesus' is teaching on forgiveness and reconciliation, loving our enemies, give us reason to really seriously reconsider that kind of view of God, that God is just looking for a reason to smite sinners, that God is just looking for a reason to, to pour out punishment and judgment because he's so offended by sin. Psalm 30 says, God's anger lasts a moment this favor lasts a lifetime. Ezekiel 18 says, I do not delight in the death of the wicked. That's our God. He's not an angry, vengeful person. He's not a, a, a God with a fragile ego. He's okay. It's In fact, it's the devil who's a murderer. John 8. So yeah, God gets angry, and we should get angry at the things God gets angry at. But not because we feel offended. Not because the culture is going to hell in the handbasket and we've got to save God's reputation. We get angry at the things God gets angry at. Are people being mistreated? Is there injustice in the world? Are people going without food? Clean water? Our hearts have to be aligned to the heart of God in order to have our, our righteous indignation. And we have to be very careful of our own anger. Because it Man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God requires. So an angry God makes angry disciples, and an angry God makes wounded disciples as well. And maybe you've been wounded by an angry preacher or pastor or Sunday school teacher or parent who taught you that it's all God can do to forgive you because you're so sinful and so unrighteous. And there's theology like that out there. Um famous sermon from the early American evangelical era. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, Jonathan Edwards. This was a really popular Puritan teaching in the early days of America where God's just waiting to consume us. And the moment we step out of line, the moment we fall out of his good standing, then we're doomed. And this is, this is again, this is not the heart of God that we see in Jesus. If you fear God's anger against you, if, you're, if you don't trust God, if you feel forever outside of his favor, if you, if you don't know that you'll ever be able to be loved by God, you need a revelation of the heart of God, the healing, loving heart of God that we see. So today, let's ask ourselves where's my heart? Am I harboring anger or resentment? Have I been too easily offended? Have I reconciled with everyone that I need to, as far as it depends on me? Do I need to see God more clearly through Jesus? Have I wounded others through my anger? Do I need to repent and reconcile? Am I wounded? Do I need a revelation of God's heart? We want to give you an opportunity to respond to some of those questions. We're going to have the, the worship team and the prayer team come up. And I want you to just consider some of those questions. Okay, hey God, do I need to see you a little bit clearer? Do I need to let go some ideas that I didn't get from, from you but I got from some other idea about you? As they're coming are the members of the prayer team here you can come to the front appreciate that let's pray together as they come Jesus, I thank you for the revelation of the heart of God that you brought to us. You came and you welcomed children. You showed us the the heart of a father that's full of joy that celebrates the young and their innocence, that celebrates sinners coming home, that celebrates hearts that are broken yet leaning in your direction and, and want to know more. You celebrate sinners repenting. You don't look for ways to judge. You don't look for ways to punish. You don't look for ways to, to hold things over our heads. But you want to forgive freely and you do forgive freely. And you want to change our hearts to be like yours. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come with renew our hearts. I pray that your Spirit would come and you would continue that work of bringing a new heart into our lives that you promised to do. And Lord, where our hearts are grown hard, we soften. We surrender them to you. you Where know, our attitudes need to change, would you just like, would you give us courage and strength to go to those we need to go to? Help us with breakthroughs. We know that you are good. We trust your heart but We trust your heart. heart. We love you, God.